0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Exodus chapter 3. We'll actually back up the train a few verses before that, but Exodus chapter 3 is our main text as we continue in our series, Journey uh, to Freedom in the book of Exodus. It was about five years ago that uh, we determined that in our need for more room that we would We wanted to build what is now double the size of our footprint here at Sailorville, known as the Sailorville Family Life Center. And uh, so I thought in order to whip up enthusiasm, uh, we'd have a fireside chat and we would put up on the screen a conceptualization of the building itself. And I learned something. People don't get excited about conceptualizations at all. In fact, it was a total fail. Uh, they wanted, you wanted details, you wanted schematics, you wanted fly-throughs and all of that. And uh, it was during that time the Lord gave me a thought as I was thinking about spiritual things and kind of mixing it up with this stuff. Here's the thought that came to my mind. The only thing worse than no vision is a blurry vision. Because that's kind of what I'd given him. But let me tell you something. If that's true of building, it's even more true of God. Listen to this. The only thing worse than no vision of God is a blurry vision of God. Think on that for a little bit. Several years ago, my first wife and I had discipled this couple, and then we sort of went our separate ways. We moved to a different town and on to ministry, and, and uh, a couple of years had gone by, and And uh, the wife of the woman that we were discipling was down in Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, and she saw me from a great distance with another woman. And not only did she she see me with another woman, she saw me holding hands with this other woman and kissing this other woman. So she determined to confront me. She started cutting through the crowds. She's probably, she'd probably 50 yards away, 25 yards away, 10 yards away, five yards away, ready to confront me. And then I turned, and she discovered, as she got nearer to me, it wasn't me. It was my brother. And she quickly veered off. Good thing, too, because if I, if I had gotten lost in the crowd, there's no telling what kind of stories would have come out of that one. Some of you have the kind of view of God that that woman had of me. A wrong one. And the farther, the farther we are away from God, the more blurry he is, the less clear he is to us, as we see him. We make him out to be somebody that he isn't a sort of a caricature of himself, sort of a circus mirror look at him. And what we call that is bad theology. It often happens experientially in our lives. You you get all the Sunday school answers, you can click all the right buttons and check all the right boxes. But then bring on a little trial, bring on a little darkness, a little struggle in that marriage, going through a divorce, maybe some sickness, or the dreaded wait, the dreaded waiting game, because you've been praying for so long and nothing's happened. The the sky is steely-like. And suddenly we start, oftentimes, if our theology isn't rooted in the truths of God, we get this bizarre response to God. That's the way it was in Egypt. The place intended to be a sanctuary for the Jews had become a place of slavery. The deliverer had been born. Providentially, it was saved, snatched out of the water, so to speak. Uh, But yet they would have to wait another 80 years before he would be ready to return. Exodus chapter uh, two, the last couple of verses says this. During those days, the king of Egypt died. That would have been Moses' stepfather. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came from, uh, from slavery, came up to God, and God heard, watch these verbs come out, God heard their groaning, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, so, and later on, he's going to say, I know your sufferings in chapter 3, verse 7. God was aware, in other words. He knew what was going on in the lives of these who've been suffering for so many years, and he knows what's going on in your life. That's a given as well. God is not sitting idly by, as the expression has it. In fact, that expression, to sit idly by, uh, carries the idea of somebody who's near but unresponsive to a dire situation. If our sufferings, if your sufferings, if your trial, if your darkness, if your struggle, if your waiting has no meaning, it has no purpose in God's big plan, then indeed he is sitting idly by. But he is not. He is not. Whatever you're going through has purpose and meaning in God and his big plan. You have to believe that. And if it's true that it does have meaning, then it's simply a matter of trusting and obeying and waiting for God to reveal himself so that we can get our blurry vision of him straightened out. God was at work getting a deliverer ready to deliver and poetic, uh, you know, poetic license aside, we have no idea what was going on during those 40 years. Remember, he was 40 years old when he fled from Egypt after having killed the Egyptian, and having been, uh, you know, it all came out in the clear. He runs to Midian. Now he's been there for 40 years. The only thing we know that is that he was a shepherd, and so the one who shepherd God, who would end up shepherding God's people for 40 years first got a 40-year education in shepherding sheep, which is what shepherds do. Suffice it to say, he wasn't ready until now. We were at a conference here just the other day, and one preacher, Crawford Lorette, said this, God won't give some people what they want because they won't stick around long enough to get what they need. Here we are, and this generation wants everything right now. But God doesn't always give us everything right now. He sometimes bears long with us. Remember Jesus saying that? And so it may be with many of you. What Moses needed was an encounter with God. And he would get it. An encounter with the living God. And so do you. So do I. This might not be Mount Sinai here on the the hill of Sailorville, But it might as well be. Because what made the mountain, this mountain that Moses was on where he would encounter God sacred, was not the mountain itself. It was the presence of God. And today, this day, this moment, this time, could be your own personal burning bush moment with God where you encounter God as you have never encountered him before. And I'm gonna be very honest with you. My heart has been heavy for a number of you by name and by face. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your souls. Whether you really know God or you're just giving the lip service to him. With that in mind, the encounter. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping faith the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, that'd be Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now the angel of the Lord was a, what we call a Christophany or a theophany. You can choose either term. Bottom line is, it is the Lord Jesus Christ before he actually came in the flesh. We know this because he identifies himself as such in the New Testament. So the word angel just means messenger, that's all it means. So speaking out of the bush, eventually. So it says, he looked, that's Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, notice when God responded. Okay, God is sovereign, but he's using us and our response mechanisms. And this, That's happened. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is, say it. And he said, I am, not I was, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So there's the text. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is a true encounter with God. A true encounter with God. And if you have a true encounter with God, he will draw you, he will call you, and he will awe you. And that's all here in this text. He will draw you. And by the drawing, maybe may just start as an interest that becomes a desire, that becomes a, I must turn aside and see. Did you see that in verse three? That the Hebrewism of that the Hebrew in here conveys the idea of leaving a path that you're on. And when God gets your attention, when he is drawing you, he will cause you to deviate. He'll cause you to go toward him, which is what Moses is doing now. And God is responding as well. Some of you have probably met one of our newer interns. His name is Zach Fisher. He was a student here many years ago. Then he became a pastor. He's back here as an intern with his family. And uh, he's the one, I told a story some time ago, 10 years ago, I was preaching a sermon and I quoted the eminent uh, pastor, theologian, prolific author, Warren Wearsby. Some of you are familiar with him. When I was in Bible college, we'd read all these nuts and bolts texts of, of, you know, tearing apart the the passages in the Hebrew and the Greek and the declensions and all this. And then we'd read Wearsby and we'd go, oh, that's what it means. (laughs) I mean, he just made everything so clear and he just died a few months ago but uh I quoted him in a particular sermon and and Zach he was just a 21 or just like a 20 year old punk at the time sorry no offense to the 20 year olds out here uh, coming through the line and he shook my hand he goes hey I heard you quoted Warren Rearsby I said yeah I did he goes yeah you know he's a friend of mine I go yeah right he goes no like like he's really my friend I go what are you talking about he goes, I, I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, where he lives. I was in a little Baptist church one day several months ago, and I, I just thanked him for his commentaries. And he said, well, I, you know, I'm basically under house arrest here because I'm getting older. I mean, what do you do? What do you do on certain days? Zach goes, nothing. He goes, why don't, you come, why don't you come visit me? He had a stand-up meeting, bi-weekly meeting with him indefinitely for years to come. And he says to me at the door, he goes, would you like to come with me? And I said, if, if you don't mind. And I did. I got to spend an afternoon with Warren Wearsby. Well, just the other day, Zach was, uh, uh, was driving in Lincoln with his brother, his grandfather, on the decline. And, and they happened to see a sign. And uh, the sign just said estate uh, sale. And they thought, they looked at each other and said, let's, let's check it out. Let's see what this estate's selling. Maybe there'd be something we'd be interested in. They started going through the neighborhood, following the signs, mind you. And they could tell, he goes, man, I'm getting right into Warren's neighborhood, and sure enough, it was his house where the estate sale was going on. A bunch of stuff had already been picked through, found the very desk that he wrote most of his commentaries on, bought it. But God was leading. If you're not a Christian, God has his own ways of drawing you. It might be this message. It might be a different message. It might be just your time in the Word. It might be a friend talking to you, confronting you. Are you turning? Are you turning toward him? If you're a Christian, we talk about this. God wants us to constantly be adjusting ourselves to him. And sometimes that means you have to deviate from the path that you're on. I've often said that holiness is just adjusting yourself to God. That's what it is. You're just making the adjustments as God gives you light. Because as, as John, write, John wrote, walk in the light as he is in the light. We'll have fellowship with one another. As we walk in the light, sometimes we simply walk toward the light. God will draw you in a true encounter with himself. And God will call you. And he does so very specifically by name with Moses, doesn't he? Moses, Moses, and God always calls us by name. Uh, The prophet Isaiah said, God says to Isaiah, I have have called you by your name. You are mine. And so you see what happens. Moses, Moses, and and Moses says, here I am. Which, by the way, is kind of like saying, at your service, Of course, he has no idea what he's enlisting for because he doesn't know what God's about to say to him yet, and then the the excuses are going to start coming. There's five of them. We'll see two of them here. But it's all taking place within the call. Now, if God calls you, it will be very evident to you. Here's how Paul put it. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his for whom he foreknew, set his affection upon. These he also predestined, set, marked out the path, to be conformed to the image of his son, which is God's goal when he calls you to make you more like Jesus. More people, more like Jesus. Who is the firstborn among many brethren. And these he predestined, he also Called those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Here's the point: what God starts, God finishes. When I was a kid, and I was number eight out of nine, we'd be out playing. I can I can remember it was like yesterday. We'd be about supper time, and you know, my, my brother would stick his head out the door and he'd go, Pat, Bobby, it's time for supper. We ignored him. My sister who's actually a little more authoritative than my brother. (laughs) She'd open the door, Pat, Bobby, it's time for supper. We'd ignore her. But when my dad opened that back door and he called out by name, (laughs) oh my goodness, you didn't resist that voice. You ran to the house. Reformers, the reformers called this call of God, his, are you ready for it? His irresistible grace. You can't resist. It's like a tractor beam. It's the efficacious or the effective call of God by which he pulls you in. You might think you're kicking and screaming, but the truth of the matter, when God is doing the work, you you are a glad recipient of his grace when he's pulling you in. Here's how Jesus put it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him that is a very strong greek word the word draws literally means to drag i mean god's gonna do it if he's got his call upon you he does it all the time he just did it a couple of weeks ago was a young woman in this church a shy individual been raised in church knew all the christian stuff all the christian jargon done all the christian things just like so many of you but she wasn't saved but the call of God was upon her like a tractor beam pulling her in. We talked, she was in tears. She, we, looked, we, we went back and forth and she was saved just like some of you need to be. God is drawing you and God is calling you and some of you are trying to resist it, but you can't. Not if it's the real efficacious call of God. You can't. And then what I really want to spend the balance of my time is this because if God will draw you and he'll call you, then he'll awe you. Now, you see what happens here? Moses turns, God calls him, and then he says, don't come near. This is what kind of ground? Holy Holy ground. One more step and you're a dead man. Now, my my wife doesn't have too many pet peeves, but one of them is when I walk in the house and don't take my shoes off. And she just hates that. And she says to me, what are you you doing? I, I Did I clean this house up just for you to dirty it all up by walking through here? No. Try to take them off now. Last week, we got a little kickback that some of you were revolted by what you considered excessive use of the word poop in my message. I was actually illustrating an illustration where the Apostle Paul said that all of his personal righteousnesses, all of his achievements, which were legion, were like, not rubbish as the ESV puts it, but dung. Remember that? You do remember that, right? Listen, I'm not going to apologize for that. Not this time anyway. Because my only regret is that I didn't tell you what the literal Greek word for dung means. The literal Greek word for dung, are you ready for it? It means animal excrement. Does that help? In the first service, somebody called out, I'd rather have you say poop. So anyway, I don't even go there. But, but here's, listen, here's my point. Listen, listen carefully to this. In Isaiah 64, a famous passage, God says, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that is a very explicit word. It is a word even more grotesque than the word dung. Now, why does God do that? Because every once in a while, when God wants to provoke us He will shake us with verbiage like this so that you and I might see how disgusting our sinfulness and our self-righteousness is in his presence. And until you see that in yourself, you'll never come to the holy God. Apart from God, we are disgusting in our sin and self-righteousness. And those of us who've come to know him and have come to truly worship him, the living God, we see this not just at the point of salvation but we see it more and more and more even throughout our lives and the fact that some of you don't see it might be the very evidence that you don't know him. So Zach, our new intern, was you know, makes his way over to the Wearsby home, goes in, buys the desk. The desk where he's written most of his commentaries and has the, just the thought of it because he's, he got to know the family really well, he calls up Warren's son calls him up while he's there, says, you know, just, hey, is there anything else I should be interested in here? Warren's son says, you know, Zach, there's, there's a closet back here. I mean, we didn't even get into it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, and you're just free to it. You don't need to pay for it. Just take it. You can have whatever you want. So Zach walked over to the closet, and I have a sampling of it. The closet was loaded with this. He- Huge rewards, life impact award. Here's another one, pastor of the year award. Here's, a, here's another one from, from Cedarville University where his library would end up and more and on and on, just all kinds of awards for, for selling a million books through his famous Bees series. And the, the, the closet is stuffed with this stuff. And Zach, Zach says to me, he says, Pat, I hung out with Dr. Wearsby for 10 years I never once saw that stuff. You know, the stuff that you display, you know, achievement, who's who, your diplomas, your, you know, your, whatever it is, because you, you know, you want everybody to know who you are, right? Zach said, I, this thing was stuffed with these things, and I never once saw them. I said, Zach, that's because to Warren, they were Dung. Everything was done compared to his knowledge of Jesus Christ. If God keeps, your, keeps his home clean because he's holy, we got to keep ours clean. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about your physical. I'm talking about your lives. I'm talking about your hearts. I'm talking about your attitudes. This word holy, it's the first time ever used in the Bible in reference to God. It means to be separate. It means to be transcendent. It means to be otherly. God is not you. You are not God. Amen? And that should impact our lives when we see the God for who He is as we grow in our sight and our vision of Him. And it should impact our lives in the way in which we respond to certain things and how we worship and who we worship with even. So about a year ago, our, our tech team and our worship team went down to Kansas City for a worship leaders conference, which basically, you know, draws all kinds of bugs. I mean, everything under the sun's coming to these conferences. And they, they sat through a message where a guy was just spewing forth all kinds of gobbling, obviously not even a Christian. He wasn't using was the Bible. He was saying the clouds, the, all these things were godlike like and this, just weird stuff coming out of his mouth. In fact, the guys were texting back and forth, thinking, what, what are we even doing here? And at the end of it, the guy says, and now don't you think we should have the Lord's table together? And Doug Porter, our tech manager, there's this quiet in the audience, big audience, and Doug goes, no. <laughs> you know what he was saying? This is otherly. I'm not attached to this. This isn't for me, because God is holy, and this is not holy. Did you notice what Moses did when God revealed himself? He hid his face from God, right? Emily Dickinson said the truth must dazzle gradually or every man go blind. Habakkuk says God's eyes are too pure to look upon sin. Have you ever read that? And if God's eyes are too pure to look upon sin, our eyes are too sinful to look upon God. And so it was with Moses. The irony of it all is that we will stand before God someday. Every single person in this room, including me, will stand before the living God who describes himself as, he is described as a consuming fire. Moses then begins to ask a couple of questions. He asks two of them, in fact. He says, who am I? And then he asks, who are you? Two questions, okay? Who am I and who are you? First, first the who am I. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Here's what it says in verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you. That I have sent you. That you have brought the people out of Egypt. And you'll serve God at this mountain. So Moses asked two questions. The first one is, who am I? I mean, who am I to go to the most powerful nation on earth and free up two million slaves? And by the way, in case you forgot, God, I tried this once 40 years ago. It didn't go well. Remember that? Struck out on his own. We're We're told in the New Testament he thought maybe this would be the thing that would cause the Jews to follow him. That's because... You you know why it didn't work? Because he was doing it on his own. That's the whole point. And God's answer clearly in the text is, listen, Moses, you're going to do it, but it's not going to be by your power. It's going to be by my presence. I will be with you, right? The Exodus would not depend on the power of Moses, but the presence of God. And hear this, dear ones. As God was with Moses, he'll be with you. Be awed by that. Who am I? How about the next question? He says, who are you? (laughs) And the answer is not going to be, who are you? But God's going to say, who I am. (laughs) Let's look at it. Chapter 3, verse 13. Here's the next. It says that Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And he goes on. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, this is that famous line here, okay? I am who I am. This is the most loaded self-description found anywhere in the Bible. Can you imagine being Moses? Hey, who should I tell them? What, what's your name that I should tell these, them that, you know, who's sending me here? Yeah, tell them I am is sending you. Can you, what's, what's well, that, that clears it all up. I mean, to this day, people don't know the full extension, the full meaning. And I confess to you, I don't even know the full meaning of this expression. Some, some theologians think when he says, I am who I am, it's kind of like saying, what, what, what business is that of you? I am who I am. And there's support for this, by the way. Later on, one of the judges asked God to, show, uh, to give him his name and uh, And God reveals reveals himself to him and says, hey, why why would I tell you my name since it's so wonderful? So maybe God's just saying, what are you talking about? I am who I am. On the other hand, this is the self-description of God that Jesus even adopted later on. Remember that? Before Abraham was, I am. It's full of mystery and awe. The Hebrew verb is, it's the Hebrew to be verb, okay? Basically, it's related to I am, I will be, I am. It's present tense. And so that speaks of God's eternality, no beginning, no end. It speaks of his immutability, the fact that he doesn't mutate, he doesn't change. And his self-existence, it speaks of his self-sufficiency. He doesn't need anybody to come in and help him as you and I do. As Philip Ryken says, God has no past and no future, only eternal present. And it's not who I am, by the way. God says to Moses, it's whose I am. Remember how God describes himself? I am, not I was, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God is identifying with his people. He's identifying with Moses. By the way, the verb to be is also flexible. It could be translated, he who causes to be, which speaks of his, crea- he's the creator. The Bible says of Jesus, by him was not anything made, he made everything, and nothing was made that was made without him. I love how Matthew Henry put it. He said, the greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am, but only God can say, I am that I am. All of this, all of this, while Moses stared into a fire that never went out, never lost its power, never needed the fuel, added fuel to keep it going. And yet it never consumed the bush. Have you ever had an encounter like that? Just go like this. Listen, God still loves to make himself known to us. You have to believe that. He loves to make himself known to us. And just last night, God gave me an answer to prayer. Because I was just thinking about how to wrap this thing up, and I was so stymied. And I pled with God to give me something. Would you give me a thought, illustrate something that's happened in my life? And something happened many years ago came to my mind. I kind of wondered why. So I share it with you. This came to my mind. It happened several years ago when I was in college. By the way, you know how many verses there are in the Bible? It's like over 31,000. Okay? And so I was in college and I, I, I made a commitment to God. I was gonna get up at five every morning to read the word because my class was at seven. Why anybody would have a class at seven in the morning, is that's another thing altogether. But I made a promise to God that I would do that. And I got up and I read my Bible. It was a wonderful time. Oh, by the way, alarm went off. I shut it off, went back to sleep. And while I was laying there, 1 Corinthians 9.27 came to my mind. But I beat my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself become disqualified. I sat up quickly. It's like God was talking to me. I got up, spent time with God, had a wonderful time in God's word, and I came across Mark 12, 24, which in essence says, you are an heir, not knowing the scriptures are the power of God. I was so gripped by that, I memorized it during my devotion time. I went on to school, walked into my first class, Methods of Bible Analysis, and I saw all these students pouring over the three-by-five cards, and I went, what's going on here? We got a verse test today, we got a memory verse. I went, oh, you're kidding me, What verse? Mark 12, 24. I'd never looked at the syllabus, I never knew it was coming, but God led me to memorize it that morning. Let me tell you something, that was an encounter with God. And I asked myself, this, even in the wee hours of this very day, What God, what, why, why this illustration? Although it was definitely an encounter with you, and I thought, I'm gonna go back to the context of Mark 12, In the context of the statement, and this is what I read. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, Jesus said, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're quite wrong. Let me tell you something. I had another encounter with God. So cool. And Moses is now beginning to see God. It's still a little blurry, but there was a coming, there was coming a day when the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one does with his friend. And you're probably thinking, lucky dude, but you know, if you would really encounter the Lord Jesus, there's coming a day. Where you can say, for now we see in a mirror, blurry. (laughs) But then, wow, face to face. How do you see him? How do you see God? Some of you have never seen him. He's as blurry as he ever was to you because you've never had a true encounter with him. You've never really repented of your sin. Your life isn't changing. You're like the young woman who came to me a couple weeks ago. You got all the Sunday school answers, but it's not real. It's not your, Some of you young people, you're not saved. Some of you people have been in this church for years and you're still not saved. Let the God of the burning bush speak to you. May he become to you a comforting father rather than a consuming fire, which he will be if you die in your sins. He sent his son Jesus, who identified himself to his detractors one day when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And that's the one you need to give your heart to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encounter with you through Moses. I look forward to this man and what you turn him in to be who spoke to you as a friend face to face. Oh, God, thank you for the encounters that you've, you've gifted me with. I don't deserve any of them. And, uh, and yet I thank you for them. I ask, Lord, that you would make this day a day of encounter For some that are here, turn from their wickedness and their self-righteousness and all the awards and placards that they put up about themselves, either physically or with their hearts and minds, and take them down, take them down, stick them in the closet, and give you the glory. We pray these things in the name of the one who was the great I am himself, Jesus, we pray, amen.